Hi guys, uh, let's, let's pray as we start. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a, a good Father um, and that you have good things for us. And as we talk today about the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the hope that that brings us, may we hear your word and may it change our lives that we might live more into the, the new resurrected life that you have called each one of us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. As, uh, as Kim said, uh, I'm Pete Williamson. I'm, I'm one of your newest uh, partners, and it's, it's really an honor to be here uh, sharing with you guys um, uh, about the resurrection. I've, I've known some people in the community for a couple of years, known JP for a bit, so I'm really excited about the opportunity to, to grow in this relationship. And if you think I talk funny, um, it's because I'm, I'm from New Zealand, and it's worth pointing out that I don't talk funny you talk funny. Um, so it's, it's great to be here. As, as Kim said, I work with graduate students at, at Harvard. And, and what I'm going to share about is about what the primary thing I think we are offering students uh, uh, at, at that school. Um, students who are studying at the law school and the business school, doing PhDs to be scientists, lawyers, and business people, going out to be put in places of influence in the world, called to be salt and light in that world, honoring Christ with their whole career and passion. Um, and that thing that we're offering them, which I believe is life-changing, is hope. And... Uh, you know, you've been doing a series on the Apostles' Creed, and I love that JP chose the Apostles' Creed as a series, because as well as being able to go deeper into what we believe, it makes this statement, what we believe matters. And every creed is, that was formed was basically a statement um, that what we believe matters, which is something that Christians have, have known throughout all history. Now, I come from a family of five kids, and I'm the youngest. And when you're the youngest of five kids, you have, you're pretty aware of times when you're right and they're wrong, uh, when, when that comes out. And in fact, in our family, we had a non-parental approved song to sing uh, when you were right and they were wrong. And it goes like this. It's very simple. You can use this, kids. You can use this. Um, I was right and you were wrong, so I'm going to sing the I was right song. I was right and you were wrong, and I'm going to sing the I was right song. And you could sing it as many times until your parents stopped you from singing it. And, uh, and I feel like sometimes when we talk about creeds, we kind of feel like that's what's going on. It's an opportunity to brag about how right you are and, and kind of tell other people how wrong they are. But, but that's not it. It's not about creating dividing lines. It's based on the statement that what we believe matters because it changes our lives. It changes how we live. It affects how we see the world, how we see each other, how we see our jobs. It affects our decisions, what we value, what we make time for, what we avoid. What we believe really matters. And ever since the beginning of this thing called Christianity, there's been one central proclamation which has been the center of all Christian life and belief. And it's this, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Or in the words of the Apostles' Creed, on the third day, he rose from the dead. Or in the words of the Apostle Paul, that guy who was an oppressor of the church, he was persecuting the church, he was against it. 
But then with one look at the risen, risen, resurrected Jesus, his whole life was turned around. And he said this, as we read today, For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. First importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves of the centrality of this proclamation. You know, when we're on campus in our Christian communities, it can be almost tempting sometimes just to go through the motions of a student organization. You know, people are building their resumes. We're running a good um, student org for the, the, the student council. Um, but no, we are a direct response to something that God has done. We are created and motivated and directed by a, an act of God that started 2,000 years ago with Christ's resurrection has continued throughout history. As the church was born on Pentecost Sunday, we've got our Pentecost uh, colors out. I've got my Pentecost shirt on. And, um, but we, we exist because of what God did. It's like, um, it's like the resurrection of Jesus is the epicenter of the earthquake of God's movement in the world. And the reverberations of that earthquake have stretched throughout time and space. And whenever Christians gather in community to honor God and usher in God's kingdom, we are acting in response to that earthquake, which the center is the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's kind of a big deal. And Paul makes this really clear. And he doesn't mince words when he's saying that, that the proclamation of the resurrection is essential. He says, if Christ is not being raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. You should, next time you see JP, you should say, your preaching is useless, <laughs> unless Christ has been raised. Um, I mean, Paul's not polite, right? You know, this is, this is a pretty bold statement. He's not scared to call your faith useless, if that's what it is. It's kind of more fun when JP's not here. <laughs> I mean, I, my dad is a pastor, and he... Um, he, I asked him, well, someone asked him, uh, you know, what, what might make you, what would make you leave the faith? What would convince you not to be a Christian? And, and he thought for a bit, and his answer was this. If you showed me Jesus' bones, like if you showed me Jesus' body still here, that would mean he hasn't been risen, and then this whole thing is useless. And he was making the same point that Paul was making. Because if Christ hasn't been raised, then we're wasting our time. You've got better things to do on a Sunday morning. You've probably got a porch to paint or a lawn to mow or a book to read. If Christ is not being raised, this is all an act of futility. So the claim's pretty clear. The resurrection isn't a take it or leave it belief. But why? Why is the resurrection so essential? And in short, I believe the answer is this, and I think this is what Paul is pointing to. That without the resurrection, we have no hope. We have no hope for ourselves, and we have no hope to offer this world. We have nothing. The resurrection matters because it gives us hope. What is hope? Like, we use this word quite a lot, and we use it quite casually. We'll say, I hope the Red Sox play better this year, which is working out so far. And I hope my daughter gets to a good college. I hope this sermon doesn't go too long. I, I, I hope I'll get a good bonus this year. And, and we managed to actually use this word hopefully, sometimes in the least hopeful way possible. Like, hopefully I, I won't fail any courses this semester, or hopefully no one will notice that I have no idea what I'm doing. 
but when we talk about the hope that Jesus' resurrection gives us, we're not talking about that sort of hope. We're talking about a foretaste of a coming reality. Something that will exist in its fullness in the future, but we get some of it now. A small piece of a perfect future entering our present. Hope is not someone saying, I hope the crop is good this year. It's not even someone saying the crop is good this year. Hope is someone coming in with uh, the first batch of the crop and saying, taste and see that the crop is good. This is what Paul is talking about when he says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits, the first batch of the crop. It's more than a promise. It's a demonstration of the coming kingdom of God. It's the first example of the resurrection new life that we are all receiving and will receive. It's a real and tangible hope of the time when God is in charge and the world works according to God's good purposes. And if Christ has not been raised, we do not have this tangible hope. And any hope we claim to have is a vague dream that disappears when we wake up. Okay, so if hope is a small part of God's perfect future, the kingdom of God, we call that entering our reality now, then why does it have to be a dead man coming back to life? Like, why didn't he just sort of make some gold-paved road or something like that and show us that and say, there's your hope? Well, the reason is, that death is the fundamental barrier to hope. That's the barrier that, that needed removing. In the words of Paul, he says, For in Adam all die, and then in Christ all are made alive. Death says, no matter what you do to improve your situation, it will be in vain sooner or later. Death says, make the most of whatever you can get your hands on now, because it's not going to last. Death says, there is no hope. There are a lot of problems in the world, and they all culminate in death. Death by disease, death by conflict, death at a young age, and at an old age. It's the epitome of brokenness, of imperfection. And when Adam and Eve first disobeyed God, they were sent out of the Garden of Eden into a world which was governed by decay and death. It's the natural result of their sin, the result of disobeying God. From the beginning of time, death is the problem, sin is its cause. In the words of Paul, death came through a man and Adam all die. And then we have Jesus, the one who was fully God and fully man, the one who died and rose again, the one who paid the price of sin by dying in our place, the infinite God paying the infinite price of our wrongdoing. But if the story had simply ended with Jesus dead on the cross, we would still have no hope. Death would have won. Death would have claimed its final victim, God himself. But on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Victorious over death. When Jesus rose from the dead, we saw the resurrection we can be part of. And we saw, as we were singing today, that death doesn't have the final word for our lives. Because we have the new resurrected life. We've seen the first fruits. We've seen a demonstration. We have real and tangible hope. Death does not define our reality. 
The words of Paul, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. In Christ, all will be made alive. What does this mean for our lives? How does hope actually change us? How does it make a difference? Well, I believe hope gives us freedom. It sets us free. And I want to give some examples of that. Um, my co-worker, there's two of us who are doing graduate ministry at Harvard, and I, um, I like to say that we have 34 years of experience between us in campus ministry, and the fact that two of those are mine is, is, is not math that we need to do, but, um, but his, his wife is a, um, a wonderful, brilliant woman. She is a PhD from the Harvard Graduate School of Education, and, and she has had so many opportunities open to her in academic routes and in public policy routes. Um, and she, some years ago, made, made a decision. Um, and there's you know, many different pathways and callings for, for different people at different stages of life, but for her, the call of God in her life um, was to do what is sometimes called be a, a stay-at-home mom. You know, she creates community at home. She homeschools her kids and other kids from the community. They've almost got a whole school there and, and that. But she doesn't have what's traditionally called a job or a career. And we had her with a whole bunch of other uh, men and women um, on a panel talking about their professional lives and how their faith enters into their professional lives. People had kind of gone different pathways. Um, but people were quite intrigued with her story and her pathway. And one of the young women in the, in the audience asked, um, how do you live with yourself? <laughs> how do you live knowing what could have been, all the, the, the success you could have had, all the influence you could have had, all, the, all that you could have gained from going along those pathways, knowing that you've put that aside. How do you deal with that thought? And her answer was so profound. It really struck me. Because uh, she said this. She said, if I believe that God's kingdom is coming, if I believe that, that God will ultimately be in charge, then it's easy. It makes sense. If I believe that's really going to happen, then I know that what I've chosen to do and how I've chosen to be obedient to God will be ultimately valuable for my, um, for my life before God. And I have lost nothing and I have gained so much. But if I don't believe that the kingdom of God is coming, if I doubt that, then it's really hard. It's hard to justify what I've lost in this world to gain for something I'm not even sure is coming. This is the difference the resurrection of Jesus brings. Because we can look to Jesus and have a demonstration that God's kingdom is coming. And it sets us free to make decisions that the world would not let us make. Because in the value system of this world, they don't make sense. The hope that comes from the resurrection of Jesus sets us free. And we see this in the disciples as well. Because on Easter Saturday, they were hopeless, right? They were despairing, scattered, defeated. In the present reality, they had lost. But one look at the resurrected Jesus and everything changes. They suddenly see it. All of a sudden, the perfect coming future was more real than their current brokenness. And they went forward with the Holy Spirit after Pentecost. And they went forward in boldness. And they stood up to lions in Roman stadiums. The greatest freedom comes from having no fear of death. 
Because of the hope they had in the resurrection, they need not fear death. And they could do things. They had the freedom to do things they couldn't otherwise do. It's the difference hope makes. I see it on campus all the time as well. I see it as hope is our primary gift that we give. These students going off to do really important, big things. And we're trying to guide them towards Jesus Christ being the center of what they're doing in the world. But it's a hugely pressurized environment. You know, there's pressure from the school, pressure from themselves, pressure from parents, pressure from society. All this pressure to gain what the world has to offer. And this pressure can be be life-destroying. It can lead to truly self-destructive habits. And it can even lead to to death. There is a true urgency about this. I think 1,100 students a year uh, take their own lives. And I know a large percentage of them it's, it's strongly influenced by the pressure they feel under because they can't see the big picture. They don't have hope. And I remember one young woman who, uh, who had been on our mailing list for three years of um, emails just filling her inbox and she never came out to, a thing, to anything. And when we started our prayer meeting, which I'll mention in a second, um, she suddenly decided to turn up and and got involved with that and, and um, she'd been going through some really tough stuff and we found out later that this was kind of her last effort of finding a reason to still be around um, and, and we were able to and, and there were actually only one semester that she was involved with us to show her through Christian community show her the hope of Jesus Christ and she'll say to this day that, that getting connected with what we were doing saved her life. And she's now down in New York being an architect for, for a firm there. She was going through the t- some tough stuff, and it was the hope in Jesus Christ that set her free. And that's the hope we have. That's the change that hope makes. And as I close, I briefly want to mention four kind of takeaways of how hope sets us free, what that freedom actually looks like. Firstly, and the first two are kind of centered on ourselves inwardly, the third one is centered on other people, and the fourth one is centered on God. Firstly, it sets us free from despair. Because if things are going really badly, and we only have hope in this world, then our resources are capped, and there might just be no hope, there might be nothing to live for. But because Jesus rose from the dead, we know that the story doesn't end uh, just in, in whatever 80 or 90 years we, we get in this life. Uh, and we have hope that even in the worst case scenario that we can imagine, that we can't solve our difficult circumstances within our lifetime, then we still have hope. And it sets us free not to despair, but to have peace from God that he is in charge and that he's coming with his kingdom. The second one, which is an outworking of that, is it sets us free to focus, um, when we focus on ourselves, to focus on the things that God cares about. Because the world is trying to seduce us to focus on uh, all the things it values, which is you know, money and success and influence and, and, and power and status. But God looks at the inside. He looks at our heart. He looks at our character. He looks at our integrity. And often we don't feel like we have time to work on that stuff because there's so much pressure to gain what the world has to offer. 
But when we look at the resurrected Jesus, it doesn't matter what the world is telling us we need anymore because we know that the future reality is coming and that it's more important. So we can take the time to focus on our integrity. We can make decisions to focus on our character so that we are people of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of gentleness, of faithfulness, of self-control. It means that when we're offered that job or that promotion that we know will compromise our integrity, we can say no. Because we know that what our soul is like, our character is more important than the things that the world is offering us. Thirdly, and relatedly, it helps us to prioritize people. You know, sometimes the world is telling us that you should focus on the people who can sort of serve you the most. Like in your workplace, you want to make friends with the people who can, who can give you the connections you need to keep stepping up the ladder. But in God, we know that every person is made of the image of God. And we're actually set free to do things we couldn't do before when we only had hope in this world. And that's actually to love and serve people who have no strategic value in this world. It allows us to focus on our family, even if it does come at some cost to our career trajectory. Because we know that our hope is not just in this world. It sets us free to love people. And finally, it sets us free to love God. Because the ultimate thing that is not valuable in this world, if we only have hope in this world, is to spend time and resources on honoring God. And we, um, on, on campus, we, we started a, a daily prayer meeting. Um, the uh, InterVarsity used to have a rule that you had to have a daily prayer meeting before you could even have like a chapter. Um, and they don't have that rule anymore, but I was really convicted when I learned about that rule because we've been struggling to have weekly prayer meetings with not many people turning up. And I thought, no, we need to do this. Like if we really want God to be first, we need to do this. So I started sharing vision with students and I was really encouraged when they, when they got on board with it, you know, and, and we started praying and people started coming regularly. You know, these are graduate students under pressure and they're coming at 8 a.m. in the morning to pray and give time to God. You know, my favorite piece of feedback I've ever gotten from students uh, in, in the work that I'm doing was when they said, when Pete started talking about daily prayer, I didn't think it would work. <laughs> but it did. Really, Harvard graduate students coming out every morning at 8 a.m. to pray, but they're doing it. And it's such an encouragement. Why? Because I know that these people have their hope in the right place. Because they're doing something which is highly inefficient if we only have hope in this world, but is the most important thing to do if we have hope in God's coming kingdom. So I am so encouraged that these students have taken up the call to pray. I encourage you, take up the call to pray, to honor God first. Hope sets us free to honor God. Paul says, if only for this life, we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to, to be pitied. If we have no hope in the resurrection, then we're wasting our time. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us tangible hope in our own resurrection. It's a real demonstration that death is not the end for us. It's proof that we are not trapped in our sin and brokenness. It tells us that there's more than just our 80 or 90 years here, and that there's more than just this broken world. This is a real hope, and this gives us freedom.
Freedom from chasing the temporary things that the world is seducing us with. Freedom even from the fear of death. Freedom to focus on our character from a position of peace. Freedom to truly love other people and truly love God without fear of missing out on what the world has to offer. So I encourage you, don't let this one pass you by. Find hope in the resurrected Jesus and then live a life of freedom. Amen.